tonight. Amen. Come on here, Brother Brado. Brother Brady's going to lead us in some singing tonight. Y'all ready to sing? Well, Clay is. <laughs> Come on, Brother Brady. Page 177. Yes, sir. Stanley Jackson, how about praying for us tonight? 
played Jensen Frank. Yeah. All right, you can be seated. chapter 3, story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The uh, title of this message, if you have a, if you take notes, is going to be Having Faith to Not Bow. Daniel chapter 3, we're going to start off in verse number 14 and read through verse 18. 
Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, tackbutt, psalmetry, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if, it, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us, O king, or he will and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. The uh, I know most of y'all already know the story. But I'm going to go over a review. I asked Anison the other night if she's ever knows this story or ever heard the story. She said no. Since it's a youth night, I'll go ahead and explain what's going on. So we can go back and look in verse number one. The king Nebuchadnezzar. He set up an idol, an image that he wanted everyone in his kingdom to bow down to. We don't exactly know what the image was. I don't know if it was an image of him. But the, uh, it was an image of gold that was very tall and very wide. And he wanted the whole country and everyone in that community to bow down to it and worship it. And I guess he wanted to do that to uh, kind of like he made it so he wanted people to bow down to what he was doing. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew the scriptures and they knew that it was not right to bow to other gods or other idols that people have set up. So the story goes, they did not bow and somebody turned him in, turned them in to King Nebuchadnezzar. So he called for them to come to them and he told them, if you do not bow, I'll give you another chance. If you do not bow, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. They said, King, we're not going to bow. We're not going to do it. We don't even have to think about it. We're not, we don't have to be careful on this matter. We're not going to bow. So the story goes, he uh, got some of his mighty men to bind them up, throw them. He threw them into the fiery furnace. The men that threw them in the furnace died because the uh, fire was so hot. And then after they're in the furnace... King Nebuchadnezzar takes a glance and looks back over there and says, didn't we cast three men into the fire? And somebody said, yes, King, we did. He's like, well, I see four men walking around and the fourth is like is likened to the Son of God. So he went and called for the uh, other people to get them out of the fire and bring them back to him. So he was talking with them and he said, uh, I'm going to make a decree that nobody can talk bad about your God because he is the only God that can save after this manner. So first I want to look at how did they get to this point of faith in their lives? You know, these men, they were young. They were probably, they could be anywhere 13, 18 years old maybe. They are probably young teenagers because they were taken out of a country and he had like, he took the young, young men out of the country. The, uh, so I want to see how did they get to this point of faith in their lives? I don't think it just happened. Because you just can't happen upon faith. Because you have to learn it from somewhere. So it made me think of Proverbs 22.6. I know this is a youth knot. But this point right here is more for the church and the parents. But I'm, I'm getting to the youth, I promise. The uh, Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, we see in this verse, the uh, train up a child in the way he should go. That we need to train them and teach them in the way they should go, especially in the ways of the Lord. This verse also, some people think there's a different meaning to this verse or a different interpretation. The word train up is also a different word for dedication. So it could also, some people think this verse is saying, dedicate your child in the way he should go. In other words, they're saying, if you let a child go the way he wants to go, let them live the life they want to live then when they get old, it's going to be hard for them to come back to the Christian life, walking on the life that they have already been living. You know, either way you put it, 
there, there's a desire and a uh, wise saying in this that we need to train up our children in the way they should go. We go back, y'all can flip back with me. Daniel chapter number 1, we're going to be in verse number 3 and 4. It says, And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, I guess I said, I'm not sure, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom were no blemish, well-favored, and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and such had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace, in whom they might teach the learning and the tongues of the Chaldeans. First we see here, this is some attributes of these kids. Attributes of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Things about them that uh, when the king saw them, that he wanted. First, we see they were with no blemish. The word no blemish definition is intact or unblemished. I believe before he brought them into their country, that their parents or maybe their church, they were protected them. And they, the kids also they had good character. They were taught godly principles and taught to be protected. Maybe sometimes they wanted to go do certain things that their parents or whoever taught them would not let them go do. You know, I believe we need to do that for our children today. Sure. Secondly, they were well-favored. Well-favored, the uh, definition for that was well-groomed and healthy. You know, they were provided for. That's like one of, the, I guess, probably the best, one of the best ways you can show your children you love them is to provide for them. You know, it's also a responsibility for us to do that. We need to provide for them, I guess, by feeding them, giving them a place to see, loving on them. You know, God provides for us things, and uh, we also need to provide for our children. Thirdly, they were skillful in all wisdom. They were wise. Uh, I have written here, wisdom cannot be taught. It comes from experiences, knowledge, and good judgment. So since wisdom cannot be taught, that means they had a good example. You know, we need to set a good example for our children. The, uh, I guess, there's a lot of ways we can set good examples for them. But that's the only way they'll, they can have, I guess, learn wisdom is through examples, because that's an experience. Matthew 18, 6 says, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged around his neck, and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. You know, I read this, most of the time we read this, we really don't think much about it. We just think if we like hurt a kid's feelings in the Lord, or somebody that's discouraging them to live for the Lord. But I looked at the word, uh, offend. That word offend, when this was written in Greek, the word was scandal, scandalizo, I think that's what it says, or scandalizo. That word means to cause to stumble. You know, how many times are we causing our kids to stumble? You might say, probably not often, but if we're not letting them grow to their full potential in Christ in their relationship, I believe we're causing them to stumble because they're not being where they need to be. We do that in a lot of times by not having our, 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 our priorities ourselves where we need to have them. We're a different person on Monday throughout the week than we are on Sunday. You know, I think uh, well, my parents, when they raised us, you can ask Ashley, they were always... They were always the same everywhere you go. They were, we did the same thing on Sunday as we did on Monday and Tuesday. We didn't talk a certain way. We didn't go certain places. We didn't watch certain things. And that's a lot of, that's the, uh, I believe that's a big problem in the church today. Like overall, like friends that I've seen and experienced over the years, that the, uh, the parents are a stumbling block for them because they're getting mixed messages. They're saying, we believe this, but it's not important enough for us to live it. You know, and uh, we really need to, I guess it's a humbling and uh, thought that Jesus said, it's better for a millstone to be hung around our neck than to do that, getting the way of our kids' growth with Christ. Next, they were cunning in knowledge. Cunning in knowledge, everyone knows what that means. It means they were smart. They were taught. They were well taught. And I believe they were especially well taught about the things of God. I read a quote the other day. 
and uh, it stuck with me. It said, if we don't teach our children who Jesus is, someone else will teach them who he isn't. You know, that's where we're at today. The world's trying to teach our kids what Jesus is not. And a lot of times we try to blame it on them when it's really our faults. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a country where there was, well, God was there with them, but like, it's pretty a godless country. They were serving many other gods, and they were placed in that situation, and they still had faith. We talk about how the uh, world's taking God out of school, and we think that's a problem. But if we raised our children the way these children were taught, we would not have a problem sending our kids to those schools because we're going to know they're grounded in the Word of God, they had a good foundation, and that they're going to live for Him no matter what comes. The, uh, my first point, well, technically, I guess that was my first point. Second point, this one's to the kids and to everybody else. Number one, they would not bow to worldly possessions or the things of this world. Go back to Daniel chapter 3. We'll read verse number one. See what they would not bow to. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon. <clears throat> Excuse me. My mouth is so dry. I get too nervous up here. First off, I believe why they did not bow to this the uh, worldly possession or things of this world, number one, because they were satisfied. John 6, 35 says, And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now, how many times in life are we unsatisfied? You know, we're unsatisfied with a lot of things. We get unsatisfied with, well, for example, if we want something new, we're unsatisfied with what we have. Maybe we want a new house. We want a bigger house. Then we get to that bigger house, and we're like, this is just too much to clean. I have too much going on. You know, we're not satisfied. We uh, want a new car. We think that's the best, greatest thing ever. Maybe an exotic car or a German car like a BMW, Mercedes. Then we get the repair bills. These bills are too expensive. You know, we're not satisfied with what we have. You know, there is satisfaction in Jesus. And there's contentment and being content with what he has given you. The... Uh, Number two under this, while they would not bow to worldly possessions, they knew where their treasure was. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust does corrupt, and where thieves, thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, these guys, they knew where their treasure was at. They were living for God instead of living for the things of this world. They weren't going to bow to the things of this world. They weren't working toward that. A lot of times we, well, we, you got to have a job to eat because you got to have some, a little bit of money. But you shouldn't let that consume your life where that is more important to you than it is to God. You should still live for him and do the things that he wants you to do. Thirdly on this one, they knew the commandments. They knew Exodus 23, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's a little g God, which is also the same thing as an idol. And an idol is when something or someone becomes more important to us than God. You know, how many times, I mean, I do that. I'm pretty sure everybody does that to an extent. There's lots of gods we could put in our lives. We could say maybe the, uh, well, I got one here, the God of technology. I just got a new phone and I don't know how to work it too great yet. The, uh, how many people want the greatest and latest technology? That's what they're seeking after. That's what they want. They got to have the newest thing. And then that's their desire. They desire, like maybe you're at school and you can't wait home, can't wait to get home to play with your video games. And that's all you think about. You know, that's setting a, an idol up in your life when you're putting that before the Lord. The uh, adults do it too with their cell phones. A lot of times, I don't know how many hours I am on mine a week, but too many. You could go to your settings and look at that if you wanted to. Then uh, another God we set up in our life is maybe a God of physical appearance or social status. Maybe we want to look a certain way or act a certain way. 
You know, I think of that, somebody that probably bowed to that, the God of physical appearance and social status. Two people come to mind. It would be like Elvis Presley and Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, I don't think he was ever satisfied the way he looked. But he looked one way, but then he totally looked a different way. And both of them, they, I guess they were not satisfied with what they had. They kept looking for more, looking for more, couldn't find satisfaction. The, um, they had their gods in their life that they thought that it led, it led them to destruction. And both of them uh, wound up dying of drug overdoses. The, uh, another God some of us that have set up in our life is a God of money. <clears throat> We're letting our jobs and letting our ideas and making money overtake our relationship with the Lord. We're putting that over him instead of uh, trusting him that he will provide and take care of us. You know, I understand some people, you got to like, uh, some people have to work on Sundays. Ashley works on Sundays a lot, being a nurse. But when you, I guess, make the point in your life, I'm not going to go to church. If you have the option, I'm going to work because I want more money. I want this. I want my life to be easier. Then I think that's when we have a problem. The uh, Romans 12, 1 says, <clears throat> I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know, sometimes on like the money issue, the uh, really a lot of issues, it's a, uh, we don't want to sacrifice anything. We don't want to sacrifice what we've done and give back. You know, sometimes you just put tithing. I know it's a reasonable service. God gives us, we should give back and help bless other people, bless the church. But we don't want to, we don't want to make the sacrifice. You know, sometimes I hate to use the word sacrifice because it's your reasonable service. But the Bible uses the word because we should just do it out of joy. But sometimes we might have to sacrifice buying the new car, going on the vacation where other people, our friends are doing these things. Because we know that where our treasure is, has a greater reward than what we have down here. And we need to work toward that. <clears throat> Second point on this, they would not bend to peer pressure. They would not bend to peer pressure. Let's go to verse number 7 in chapter 3. <clears throat> Therefore at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psalmetry, and all kinds of music, all the people... The nations and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. You know, they did not bow to peer pressure. When everyone else was bowing, they stood up and said, we are not going to bow. I'll explain what peer pressure is. I'm sure some kids do not know. I had to ask Anison to see if she knew. She said she did not. So peer pressure is influence from members of one's peers. To make that a little bit easier, people are, who are your own age, like your classmates, are called peers. When they try to get you to act a certain way or do a certain thing, that is called peer pressure. I feel like a lot of kids, even adults, have a problem with this. Maybe the older you get, maybe you grow out of it. But kids in general have a problem with peer pressure. I think it's because we all want to fit in. We all want to uh, be accepted and don't want to feel left out. We don't want to be the odd one that's sitting at the lunch table by himself. <clears throat> you know, uh, when we have God, we have everything we need. We don't need the, uh, I guess, acceptance of others. Under this one, I have, they did not conform. Conform means to comply, go along with. Romans 12, 2 says, and they, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Let's go back to chapter number one. Sorry to make y'all flip so much. I'm going to read verse uh, six and seven. <clears throat> verse six and seven. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Unto the prince of the eunuchs gave the names, for he gave them to Daniel the name of Belshazzar, unto Hananiah of Shadrach, and of Meshach, and of Azra, 
of Abednego. We see here, even how it was back then, it is the same way today. The world wants to change our identity. He wants to change the, they want to change the kid's identity. We see, I'll include Daniel, since he was in this verse. Daniel, the name Daniel, means God is my judge. And they changed that to Belshazzar, which means Bel will protect. Hananiah means God has been gracious. And they changed that to Shadrach, which means inspired by Aku. Mishael means who is what God is, kind of meaning he has the attributes of God. They changed that to Meshach, mean, meaning belonging to Aku. And I think Aku, if I remember, I might be wrong, maybe it's like the moon god. Then Azariah, his name meant God has helped, and they changed it to Abednego, meaning servant of Nego. You know, this is like how they were then. It's exactly where we're at today. The world wants to change our identity, and they think if they change our identity, kind of like they thought then, if they could change their names, then maybe they could change their personality, change their thoughts. They were trying to indoctrinate them something else that was not right. And that's exactly how, just how I said how it is today. They want to make girls into boys, boys into girls. And you know, that's just not right. It's not natural. And, uh, we think it's something new, but it's really not something new. It's been going on for a long time. Yes, Secondly, they uh, took a stand to please God rather than man. Galatians 1.10 says, For I do now persuade, or do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be a servant of Christ. Now, who are we trying to please? Are we trying to please God? Are we trying to please others? Are we trying to please our friends? Like, how, will you say, well, how am I trying to please them? Well, maybe, maybe by the places you go, or are you going places maybe you shouldn't go, trying to please your friends? Are you, uh, maybe we want to fit in by the ways we dress. Maybe we shouldn't dress a certain way. You know, we should uh, not live to please men. Even you could do that even in the Christian circle. Sometimes you do certain things you wouldn't normally do to please somebody in the Christian circle. It might be something good. It's a good thing. But you're doing it for the wrong reason. You need to be doing it for the Lord instead of doing it to please men. Then uh, thirdly under this point. Sorry if I'm confusing you saying uh, I've already had like two third points. So I'll just say C. Subpoint so C under this. Point number two, they had good friends. Proverbs thirteen twenty says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty three says, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. The, I think having good friends is important, because when you have good friends, you're more apt to do what they do. And not fall to, uh, I guess, temptation and bad peer pressure. You know, these young men, they had a friend named Daniel, which you just read about. And I believe Daniel was a good friend. We read chapter 1. Daniel purposed in his heart that he was not going to defile himself. And he included his friends in that. They followed him. You can go to chapter 2, the end, the last verse in chapter 2. Already said, then Daniel requested of the king that he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the providence of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. You know, Daniel cared about cared about his friends. He wanted better things for them. You know, and it's good to have good friends. Just like the first verse says, "He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but companion of fools shall be destroyed." You know, if we're walking with wise people, it's going to kind of wear off on us a little bit. We're not going to be doing very, I guess, opposite of wise be stupid things. We shouldn't be doing many stupid things for walking with wise people. And I guess on the flip side, if a lot of your friends are doing things that you should not do, unwise things, you're probably going to find yourself doing those things. The uh, here evil communications corrupt good manners. You can be taught good things, but hanging around the wrong crowd will wear will wear off on you. <clears throat> Thirdly, they would not budge to fear. They would not budge to fear. Let's go to uh, 
We'll read verse 16 and 17 in chapter number 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. You know, they would not budge to fear when they had the fear pretty much a life or death. They did not budge or fold to that. You know, a lot of times, there's, well, there's a lot of fears. Adeline sings a song, which most of the kids probably heard it. Maybe parents that have young kids. God is bigger than the boogeyman. You know, the other night, Adeline said, as she's like, I'm scared to go to bed. I'm scared of monsters. You know, kids have fears. You know, some fears are normal, but some of the fears, I guess, are out of respect of whatever it is instead of uh, actual fears. When I was a kid, I was kind of scared of the dark. I used to have my night light on. It wasn't really like cloth. I'd leave the closet light on. I know a lot of people are scared of, uh, I don't know, a lot of things. Nathan's scared of his wife, for one thing. <laughs> you can see it when he walks by. This he, he, he shakes in fear. <laughs> the, uh, just kidding. But Nathan is scared of something pretty weird. He's scared of cotton. He's the first person I know to be scared of that. People are scared of, uh, people are scared of snakes. People are scared of bugs. My kids are very scared of bugs. If there's a bug in our house, they scream. They're like, Daddy, come kill it. I got to go find it and hunt it down and kill it. You know, because they're creepy. A lot of bugs are creepy bugs. I heard something that's kind of funny. There's some creepy Christians. Y'all know any creepy Christians? <laughs> If not, if you don't know any, you're probably that Christian. <laughs> yep. I bet your friends know that. I bet your friends know a creepy Christian. Or your friend, their name's Mama. I, I don't know why I heard that this week. I actually, I don't know. When did I hear that? Yesterday? Today? There's a uh, good Christian comedian that I like watching. I'll tell you his name. His name is Michael Jr. Y'all have to look him up. He's, he's pretty funny. I'll tell you another one. I'm getting off track. This will be the last one. But I'm not good at telling jokes because I can never remember the whole thing. I'm not good at embellishing stories. I feel like my wife is very good at embellishing stories. <laughs> she can make up something and go off the fly and it just goes away. And Aniston does pretty much the same thing. The, uh, so this one, y'all know Jesus had a little brother, right? What was his name? James? So everywhere Jesus went, James probably wanted to do the same thing as Jesus. So I'm pretty sure James almost drowned once. Y'all get it? Jesus walked on the water. He almost drowned. So uh, James was, uh, James probably had problems. So he probably went to his mom. Like most little boys do have problems. They have something they struggle with. And his mom's advice was probably, I don't know, what would Jesus do? You know, he's probably always compared to Jesus. You know, this, that's a... Uh, then he probably started making the bracelets and selling them. <laughs> and then maybe made a lot of money. I don't know. Maybe not. But uh, yeah, I probably watched that guy too much to know, to know those jokes. <laughs> but it's pretty funny. The, uh, you know, he was like, people probably compared him to Jesus too. They thought, your brother can do it. You can probably do it. You know, Jesus went to the wedding. He turned water into wine. So the next wedding, James is probably at. They probably ran out. And they asked him, you going to do anything? You're not going to make Kool-Aid or nothing? And he's like, nope. He was just James. He wasn't James Christ. Just James. You know, but I know that was neither here or there. Let me get back. I'm sorry about that. The, uh, okay, let's talk about fear. Give me just a second. I'll tell you get my thoughts gathered again okay uh, it was probably seven eight years ago maybe I had to have my wisdom teeth removed I know some people are scared of the dentist I didn't have a problem at that point but then while he was in there I went to a different dentist than I normally go to he took the wisdom teeth out and then he said I need a little bit of dental work in the back I had a cavity so I had to go back to him 
And I imagine it was in the spring because when I went, I had like, my nose was running. I was having like phlegm in my throat. I was having mucus in my throat. So I was sitting in the chair. He was doing work in the back of my mouth. My mouth's wide open and I couldn't open any wider. He shoves this wedge in my mouth. So I couldn't shut my mouth. So I started swallowing and I felt like my throat was closing up like I couldn't breathe. And then whenever that happened, my anxiety started going and I started getting fearful of that. I wasn't really fearful of the pain. I guess I was fearful of the unknown what was gonna happen because I feel like my throat was closing up. So fast forward, I don't know how long, maybe a year ago, maybe not even a year ago. It probably was, it was not that long ago. So I go to my normal dentist for cleanings every so often. So he wanted to do a filling because I grind my teeth at night and I had a little pit in one. So he did give me a night guard a while back to wear. So he went in there to fix it and I was getting so anxious of him doing that. Even though my allergies and everything were perfect, I was getting anxious and fearful because of those past experiences that I had and maybe those things that, uh, the places that I was not familiar to before. You know, a lot of times we do that as Christians. Maybe we tell somebody about the Lord and it doesn't go how we want it to go. Maybe I get up here in the choir and sing and I mess up a ton. And then I mess up when I sing over there. And when I lead the choir, the one time I led the choir, that's probably why I haven't asked to do it again. <laughs> Just kidding. When I lead the singing, I mess up. When I do the words, y'all know I mess up. The, uh, but we don't need to be fearful when we go to do those things again. We need to serve the Lord and not uh, bow to our fear. But I have here to budge to our, our fear. You know, the kids that are up here singing... If you ever mess up, it's okay. Everybody messes up. I'm sure Brother John's messed up, and you sometimes you say things that you don't mean to say. Even up here, your words get crossed. You get nervous. But, you know, that's okay. We're human. God still wants us to serve him. It doesn't matter what circumstance that it's in. But when those fears, some fears are okay to have, I believe, just because it's kind of like a respect, like a fear of heights. You know, it's pretty scary to go high up and nothing supporting you. Or I guess people are scared of snakes because they're scared it's going to bite them. But that's more out of respect. But when your fear overtakes you where you cannot serve the Lord, I believe that is where we have a problem. The, uh, the point under this one, they would not budge to fear because they knew the scriptures. We go to Daniel 3.18. It says, But if not... Be it known, O king, we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You know, they knew the scripture of the commandments that they should not bow and worship this idol. The Bible says, Psalms 119, Psalms 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, when we're scared and just going through life in general, when we remember God's word, when we go to his word, we know the scriptures, it's kind of like the light. It gives clarity and it provides a lot for us to follow. It's just like when you're scared of the dark, you flip the light on so you can see. God's word does the same thing to us in our life. Lastly, I have, they would not burn. Go to Daniel 3.25. Daniel 3 verse 25 says, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And they would not burn because God protected them. God was with them. Deuteronomy 3, or 31, 6 says, Be strong and a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he is it that goeth with thee, he will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Sorry, I still have papers. I'm not as uh, technology-driven as and good at having my notes on iPads. I can't keep the screen on long enough. But I didn't know Chris had to tell me this week there's a, something you can go to and turn that off, so don't cut off every time. Then we go to Psalms 37:25. I have been young, and now I'm an old. Now I am old. 
yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. You know, God was with them, and he uh, never left them nor forsake them. When they were there telling the king, we're not going to bow, when they were standing up, he was with them. You couldn't see him, but he was with them. The, uh, when they were in the fire, he was with them. And other people were able to see then that he was with them. Sometimes it takes, I guess, when we go through things and we still stand up for the Lord, other people can see that God's with us. You know, I see uh, Brother John's told a story before. He, uh, like I guess, first started out in the ministry. He didn't have much money. He didn't have enough money for milk. And maybe that's why he didn't have enough money for milk. But was God still with you? Did he forsake you? No. God never forsook him in that. Now that he wasn't, I guess the Bible doesn't make a promise. I won't, you won't have hurt. You won't have needs. But he did promise that he'll never forsake you. The, uh, I'm sure many people in here have issues and problems. The, uh, especially, I guess, when you get older, maybe your parents pass away. Harry's parents passed away. But did God leave you when they passed away? I know you felt hurt, but he never left you. He was with you. You know, and I think the kids, we can look up to our parents and adults and see how they act in those certain situations. That God's never left them. He's never forsaken them. The, uh, hmm. There was one time I, w I was in the hospital. The, uh, I remember my dad had to carry me up the stairs. I couldn't even walk up the stairs. I couldn't see my hand. I remember doing this. I couldn't see. Like my blood pressure had dropped. So I had a, uh, I have Crohn's, but like before I found out I had it or right after I had a blockage. And I let it go too long. You know, in that, God never forsook me. I still had a peace the whole time. I knew where I was going. You know, God, he, uh, it's amazing how he works and how he's with us in times that uh, we just don't feel like he should be there. The, uh, well, you know, we need to live for him. He's always, he's never left us. And he's always been there for us. The, uh, you know, that's a blessing to know that. The, uh, Meg, if you don't mind, please come into the piano. I guess I'll be in my closing now. You know, do we want to see our children live for the Lord? You know, that's a... I got two kids. You know, they're worth it. <clears throat> Chris is having a baby. My sister, uh, Beckham, you know, he's worth living for. He's worth us uh, being wise and uh, living for God. You know, do we have a problem in our lives sometimes putting things before the Lord? You know, are we setting the example that we need to set? The, uh, I guess the altars are open if anybody wants to come while I'm still talking. I'm almost finished. You know, for the kids, do we have a problem with peer pressure? You know, that's a big one. You know, the Lord can help us with that. Do we have a fear of standing up for the things of God. You know, are we bold? The, uh, there's a story that I heard not long ago. Somebody named Charles Blondine. Has anybody heard of Charles Blondine? I just told my sister and brother-in-law the story the other day. They called him the Great Blondine. He was a entertainer, you could say, or a uh, daredevil. He was one of the first ones to walk on a tightrope across Niagara Falls from, I guess, America to Canada. So the first time he did it, I mean, everybody was so amazed. They called him, you're so, you're so great. You're the great Blondine. So he couldn't just do the same thing again to draw the crowds. He had to do something different. So the next time he went across, I'm not sure how he did it. He carried a little grill and walked across the uh, Niagara Falls on the tightrope. He got to the center and he cooked an omelet. And he ate the omelet. So he went across, everybody clapped for him. You're so great. You're the great Blondine. Another time, he, I think they said he, I guess a rumor, he walked across in like stilts. One time he got a wheelbarrow, pushed it across, and had something in, dumped it out. And he asked the question, do y'all think I can carry somebody in this wheelbarrow and walk across to the other side? Everybody, yes, you can do it. 
you're the great blondine. And he said, who wants to volunteer? And everybody was silent. Nobody wanted to go. You know, I fear sometimes the lost and we think that God, we know he can do it. We know he can save us, but we're not, we don't trust him with our life. We trust him with other people. When God, we know you're great. You're mighty. You can do this, but you can't do it for me. The, uh, if you're faced with a life and death situation, kind of like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego was, where would you go? The, uh, you can know where you can go. First John 5.13 says, These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. I'm going to read a story really quick because I just, I didn't remember yet. I really, I read it like right before I got here. During the Spanish-American War, Carla Burton was overseeing the work at the Red Cross in Cuba. One day, Theodore Roosevelt came to her, wanted to buy food for the sick and wounded Rough Riders, but she refused to sell him any. Roosevelt was perplexed. His men needed the help and he was prepared to pay out his own funds. When he asked someone why he couldn't buy supplies, he was told, just ask for it. A smile broke out on his face. Now he understood the provisions were not for sale. All he had to do was simply ask and they would be freely given. You know, salvation is that easy. It's there. We just gotta ask for it. But a lot of times we wanna know what can we do to get it? What can I do to do it? No, I can't do anything. It's not nothing in my life. I can't work for it. I can't, uh, I can't say an elaborate prayer and the prayer get me saved. It just opened up my heart to him and believing on him, what he's already done. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't know if this helped you any tonight, but if... Uh, if you need to come to the altars and pray about anything, they're open. And I'm going to turn it over to Brother John. I wrote down some things while Brother Josh was standing here. I was sitting there just watching him and listening. And I was looking at all of our young people sitting out there. And I got to think about the young people of this generation. Heard of... A scripture read the other day it was talking I think it was out of the book of Habakkuk it said that the they were in a building program and said that they began building the house of the Lord it said the old ones that had seen the glory of the first house said they wept whenever they saw the new building being built because it just didn't have all the glory that that first one in their mind, in the old people's mind, it just didn't have the glory that that first one had. But it said that the young people were rejoicing. And as I heard that, that scripture being read, I got to think about our young people. We better be thankful that there's some young people still rejoicing in the things of God. It may not be just like we thought it should have been or the way it was way back when but thank god we still got some young people still excited about the things of god thank god we still got some young people going to church thank god we still got some young people getting in a youth choir and singing thank god we still got some young people interested in the lord as i was sitting there i was watching you brother josh and i wrote down three things he was talking about faith, and I taught, thought, well, I'm learning about faith from young people. Then I got to thinking a little bit further, and I listened to Brother Josh real closely and the things that he was saying. Young man, got children of his own now. And I got to thinking about, well, I'm learning some wisdom from young people. But then I wrote this one down. I thought, I'm usually a three-point man. 
only had two, faith and wisdom. But as I looked at Brother Josh standing up here tonight, I thought, well, I'm learning example from a young person. Thank you, Brother Josh. Thank you, Youth Choir. Thank you for being you. And he said something tonight about messing up. And we all mess up. And he shocked me when he looked at me and said, Brother John messes up. I didn't think anybody caught those things. But we're all a bunch of mess ups. Thank God the Lord still wants to use us. And wants to meet with us. Wants to be a part of our lives. A bunch of mess ups like me and you. I learned faith tonight from the young people. I learned wisdom from the young. And I learned example from young people tonight. Young people, y'all do matter. You are a major part of what God calls the church. I see little Ellie get up and sing. That's an example to us. I see these young kids getting that choir sing. That's an example to us. No matter how old or how long we've been in this thing. Sarah, you did good tonight. You did great. You did wonderful tonight. You were up there for Jesus. And that's what counts. That's what matters in the eyes of Jesus Christ. It's not doing everything perfect. My Lord. If we're in that kind of mentality, we're, we're in a mess. We're, we're putting pressure on our own selves that Jesus never put on there. As we stand tonight.